Welcome to Digital Yom, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we discuss the psyche's affinity for religious expression and its meaning for the experience of our own psychological depths. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. I do not, however, hold myself responsible for the fact that man has, everywhere and always, spontaneously developed religious forms of expression, and that the human psyche from time immemorial has been shot through with religious feelings and ideas. Whoever cannot see this aspect of the human psyche is blind and whoever chooses to explain it away, or to enlighten it away, has no sense of reality. We are, by nature, religious beings, says Jung. Not only are religious forms of expression ubiquitous throughout human history, and in every part of the world. But they're also foundational aspects of the psyche. The human psyche, he writes, from time immemorial has been shot through with religious feelings and ideas. And what Jung is getting at here is that in whatever direction you look, whether you're looking out at the world everywhere and always, or whether your gaze is turned inward to the activity of the inner life, you see undeniable signs of the psyche's affinity with the religious dimension of life. On one hand, the abundance of religious forms and practices the myths and symbols, rituals and dogmas, reveal a central preoccupation of the human soul, a prodigious religious imagination. On the other hand, when you look at the way the unconscious psyche of the individual manifests through such things as dreams, fantasy and the creative imagination, you discover a remarkable similarity between the themes that these express and those expressed in the religious traditions of the world. And this is just what Jung found in his work with his patients. And it was true 
regardless of whether an individual consciously held religious beliefs or not. The unconscious naturally produces religious forms and ideas. In other words, what Jung realized was that the questions and concerns of religion live in us. They are part and parcel of our natural functioning, part of the native language of the soul. And this, of course, has major implications for how we conceive of our own human nature. For Jung, it means that the human being is not just a bundle of biological instincts and impulses, but also expresses what might be called an instinct for meaning. The search for meaning is as real and vital an aspect of our psychological functioning as is the sexual instinct or the need for food. And this really is the essence of what we mean when we talk about the necessity of the symbolic life. And in the same way that our health depends on a right relationship to the body, just as important is a right relationship to the spiritual part of our life. For we consist of both instinct and spirit. We're a product of both nature and culture. Expressed in a more religious tone, one might say that the human being is a mix of both heaven and earth, or as the poet Mary Oliver tells us, the farthest star and the mud at your feet are a family. Now, as I mentioned back in episode three, the healing factor, it's difficult to talk about religion and the religious experience because it triggers some fixed ideas and associations for many people. And that can lead to all sorts of resistances or misunderstandings about what's being discussed. And this is certainly a difficulty that Jung experienced in his work when he spoke of the religious function of the psyche. And it's why he hits that defensive-sounding note in our opening quote, I do not hold myself responsible, he says, when talking about the relationship between psyche and religion. And some of the difficulty that we encounter here is the result of a tendency that we have to identify the word religion with the particular forms of religious expression. And this is the way that religion is popularly presented and, and thought about. Religion means a religion, such as Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, or the like. But when Jung talks about religion, this is not what he means. And one of the key things that he does is to differentiate between religion, which he conceives of as, as an attitude that one has, 
and what he calls a creed, which is the particular form or tradition, such as the religious community that one belongs to or a, a body of specific beliefs that one holds. Religion and creed have a relationship one to the other, of course, but they're not the same thing. And we might say that for Jung, religion is an individual psychological attitude, while a creed is a collective and practical structure. Or to put it another way, religion and creed are, respectively, the internal and external manifestations of the religious impulse. The proper role of the external form, the creed, is to act as a kind of map for the development of the internal religious experience. And this brings us back to the earlier statement that I made, that religious forms and ideas are a kind of language that the psyche speaks. If this is true, then we might imagine that some familiarity with religious ideas and forms could help us become more familiar with our own psychological depths. And this is just what Jung suggests, at one point even stating that to really understand the psyche as it manifests, for example, in dreams, a thorough knowledge of the spiritual history of humankind is indispensable. Now, of course, for most of us, a thorough knowledge of the spiritual history of humanity is probably not in our wheelhouse. But the basic idea still holds. Some familiarity with the stories of myth and with the rituals and scriptures of the religious traditions can help us to a more complete understanding of ourselves. So, why? Why is this the case? Well, the main reason is that it breaks us out of our merely personal story and situates us in the context of a larger story. Our lives are not just the sequence of events that happen to us, but they also bear some relation to the cultural world with its deep historical roots in which we find ourselves and which is, so to speak, the soil in which we grow. And we have to have some point of comparison by which we understand our life and the meaning of our life. The collective symbols of religion and myth are not about my personal experience or your personal experience. They speak about human experience. They're the stories of the existential encounter with life 
and its transcendent mysteries. They help us to know the ways in which our own personal life reflects and reverberates with the great themes of life with a capital L. Birth, death, love, adventure, suffering, struggle, triumph, joy. And this work of coming into relationship with the larger story that religion directs us to can take place both within a religious tradition and separate from it. As I said earlier, a relationship with a creed can facilitate the growth of one's internal religious attitude. However, it's important to also acknowledge that while a creed can support what I've called the instinct of meaning, it can also become a barrier to it. And this is a poem by the 15th century mystic Kabir. And it expresses the importance of remembering the independence of the spirit the internal manifestation of religion from its external forms. It goes like this. O servant, where dost thou seek me? Lo, I am beside thee. I am neither in temple nor in mosque. I am neither in Kaaba nor in Kailash. Neither am I in rites and ceremonies nor in yoga and renunciation. If thou art a true seeker, thou shalt at once see me. Thou shalt meet me in a moment of time. Kabir says, O oh, Sadhu, God is the breath of all breath. Now, Kabir, it seems, agrees with Jung. Religion and creed are two separate things. What is sought, says Kabir, is not to be found outside in the structures of religion. Even in the most holy and revered structures, like Kaaba and Kailash, two of the holiest sites in Islam and Hinduism. It's not found in the rituals and practices of the traditions either. What is sought is much closer to hand. And what this points to is that the external structures, the creeds, are not the goal, though they can and often do serve as paths toward the goal. 
The structures help us as long as they don't become too fixed and rigid. As long as they remain transparent to transcendence, windows, as it were, to what is beyond them. The theologian Abraham Joshua Heschel reminds us that our creeds are like music, translations of the unutterable into a form of expression. The structures and creeds are expressions of the feeling for the infinite that is already in us and around us. It is beside us, says Kabir, right here in this moment of time, the breath of all breath. And it is in the human psyche, says Jung, which is shot through with religious feelings and ideas. And so, given all that's been said, what are we to make of this idea of a natural and inborn religious impulse? What does this instinct for meaning mean for us? Well, one clue can be found in a statement that Jung makes about another form of expression, a creed of sorts of a different kind. I mean the field of psychology, Jung's own native field. And he says about this something that I think is of profound importance. He says, one must never forget Psychology is only a stammering stopgap measure so that one is able to talk about life at all. It's life that matters. That's the takeaway here. Life and our relationship to life is the goal. We don't really know what life is, Jung is saying, and we need forms in order to be able to express anything about it at all. Life, in other words, is the transcendent mystery. And even though there are many forms that we use to talk about it, religion, psychology, science, philosophy, art. The spirit of life is not to be found in those temples or in the rites and ceremonies of those traditions. Rather, it's in the relationship that we form with the mystery of our being here. Those disciplines can be the paths that guide us along the way, but they are not the goal. And the work lies in the cultivation of an attitude, one that enables us to feel like we're part of a great story, an attitude that lets us know that we are really alive, and one that opens our ears 
so that we can hear that unutterable music of this life. And that is an attitude that I would say can probably best be described as religious. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have questions about anything you heard in the episode or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag DigitalYoke. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored in this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available now from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening, and take good care.